This is Film Focus with Emily Cook. Dogma 95 was a filmmaking movement um, created by Danish directors Lars von Trier and Thomas Vinterberg. And it was based on a very tight set of 10 rules which were designed to get back to the essence of what filmmaking is about. Um, Ash joins us today to talk to us about it. Hello, thanks for joining us. Hello. Hello. Um, so can you tell me about the origins of uh, Dogma, how it came about? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think you have to look at the historical context of the time. So across the filmmaking world, there was a sort of a reaction to what was seen as the excessive corporatism in filmmaking of the 1980s. Even in Hollywood, you had uh, a movement that was sort of kicked off with Steven Soderbergh's Sex, Lies and Videotape, which went to Cannes in the latter part of the 80s. It gave birth to the indie film movement, Kevin Smith and his Clarks, uh, which is one of the sort of seminal uh, slacker movies of the time. Mm -hmm. You had Tarantino, of course, that emerged from that resurgence in American indie. Uh, and Robert Rodriguez, the quintessential filmmaker with the camera on his backpack. So this was sort of the European version of that, mm -hmm. I would suggest. It was sort of a, uh, a sort of student filmmaker reaction to what was seen as the excessive glossiness of the archetypal, <coughs> excuse me, Hollywood movie. Um, so it was, this was about no professional sets, no professional lighting, not even professional actors. It was about unplugging the essence of the emotion, shorn of all of the veneers, the layers that film studios said you had to have on film. And for that reason, it was, in a sense, it was a bit of a reaction, it was a bit of, a, it was a bit of an in-joke in many ways, but I think it was an important movement, and that's why it's, it's worth thinking about even today. So we're going to go through um, one or two points of the ten, ten rules that uh, were part of Dogma. So um, shooting must be done on location. Um, there can't be any studio or any props or anything brought in. But the dogma attitude was, well, why not? Yeah. You know, why, why shouldn't you just whip out your camera and start filming and film that emotion? Yeah. Capture it, you know. And, and it was unique and it's liberating, should yeah, I say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, sound must never be produced. Um, it has to be uh, the sound that's taking place at the time. There can't be music added in or non-diegetic sound um, put in place. Um, it's and it's really interesting, and just to pick up on that, it's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, if you think about something like Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, the stabbing mm. scene, where there's mm. this big sort of, this dramatic uh, orchestral music, exactly, yeah. Now imagine that scene without that music, just the simple, uh, hor horrific uh, vision yeah. of a woman being stabbed in yeah. the shower without yeah. all of that. It kind of makes it more raw. Makes it much more raw, and when done well in the right hands, as we'll see with some of the films we're about to go through, uh, it, it, it's devastating in its emotional intensity. Mm, absolutely. Um, also, the camera must be handheld, which for any filmmaker presents a few problems because obviously um, you, you want to have a steady shot. I mean, that's what we've got used to. And obviously now if we see handheld footage, it seems a lot more real, perhaps. Yeah. But also um, we want to have higher production values. So people often want to rig cameras on cranes and get those kind of different shots, which Dogma obviously was against. Also, the f film must be in colour. It must not use filters. Optical work is forbidden. Yeah, and the, co the, the colour thing is really interesting because your archetypal Scandinavian art house film is always shot in black and yeah. white. You know, you think of Bergman and, you know, these sort of art house films about existentialism and death, mm. and they're invariably in black and white. So again, Dogma uh, actively eschewed, actively shunned 
that kind of stereotype. And that, mm. I know that's, that, it was interesting from that perspective as well. And quite brave as well to go against something that people um, are used to as I, well. I, I think they were having fun with it. You know? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's filmmaking. It's not meant, yes, it's serious. And it's a serious business. Yeah. But why, why not set these rules up and see what people do with them? I think. Yeah. Um, interesting though, it says that, that you, there aren't to be murders, but there are often sex scenes that take place. And those sex scenes often happen for real? They don't have to happen for real? No, so, um, well, the in, again, from the manifesto's perspective, the reason that there couldn't be murders is because you can't actually kill someone on a film set. Oh, of course, because <laughs> yeah. nothing can be, everything yeah. has to be real. Uh, whereas you can uh, depict sexual intercourse and indeed have actors engage in sexual intercourse uh, on a film set. Uh, some of the most controversial dogma films have depicted uh, live acts of sexual intercourse. And uh, so uh, The Idiots, which we're going to go through in a second, has a couple of scenes where that sort of thing happens. Mm. Um, what's interesting is Lars von Trier, who's now very much, uh, um, you know, he makes films in a massive studio mm. in Denmark that's very well equipped and set up. And yes, he uses lighting. Yes, he uses yes. special effects and all the rest of it. Uh, but he still depicts um, sexual intercourse as happening between actors in his film. So in The Antichrist, for example, which was booed off at Cannes a couple of years ago, uh, that happened. So, you know, it's, I, I suspect, as with the rest of the dogma movement, part of it is a sort of, it's an in-joke, it's done with a bit of a smile, mm. a bit of a sort of sideward glance, and a nudge and a wink at the filmmaking establishment, the serious yeah, art yeah. house film critics. Yeah, that, that you yes. Know. And Absolutely. if you can't have fun with sex, what can you have fun with? <laughs> um, also, it says that the, the genre movies are not acceptable. Um, the film format must be Academy 35 millimeters. Finally, the most interesting one is, I think anyway, yeah, the director should not be credited. Yeah, I totally agree. This is the most interesting. I mean, but, but, but they are credited because we know who made them. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and I think, again, we, we come back to this recurrent tension between a manifesto as a statement of perfection mm. and what actually needs to happen Absolutely. if you want to progress your career or if you want to actually uh, get funding to make another film or whatever. Yeah. But I think that's the most political bit of it. Um, I mean, Scandinavia, historically, a very egalitarian uh, group of countries, um, you know, seen as a place where social solidarity is at its highest. Mm. Dogme, in a sense, is capturing that, I think, by saying, look, we are a collective, we, we are an aesthetic collective. And we're not going to abstract individuals as if filmmaking is some yeah. active individualism. Because the it's rules, not. well, to, per this manifesto, it's mm. not. But what the rules are saying, the rules sit above the inspiration of the individual. Mm -hmm. The rules exist as a kind of set of laws that bind mankind. And that's what's important to the Dogme mm. movement. It, it sees filmmaking not as some expression of genius, the auteur movement of the Stanley Kubricks of this world who are very sort of obsessed with personal control and individual control mm. or indeed the big uh, budget studio movies of the 80s that came out of Hollywood indeed around Europe this is about something else it's something more socialist or communist mm. in nature and again from a political perspective that makes it quite interesting so Ash you're kindly going to talk through um, three of your favorite or best examples of uh, dogme cinema yeah um, so which films have, which, what's your first film that you've selected that we're going to look at now? The first one is Thomas Vinterberg's Festen. Okay, let's have a look at the trailer. And what's incredible about this is just how young the directors were, you know, this was a real movement. Mm. 
that came from the heart. You know, it was it was a piece of avant-garde cinema. And Festen is a classic example of that. Um, very simple story, uh, family celebration. And Festen means celebration. Correct. Uh, a disparate, dysfunctional family coming home to celebrate their father's birthday. What could be simpler? And yet the whole thing spectacularly, spectacularly disintegrates. Mm. And you can even see um, the, the fuzziness of the, the mise-en-scene. It's like you're in the room with these guys, mm. you're seeing their emotion. It's like a family video, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's just, it, it's just a wonderful, wonderful depiction of anger and hatred uh, mm. and disillusionment and secrets secrets lies uh, it's very intense as well absolutely and raw raw emotion and it's that graininess that that sense of found footage that really makes it sing really makes it tick alongside some fantastic performances absolutely fantastic performances um, I'm not convinced that all of those shots by the way were shot handheld or any form of tripod whatsoever mm. but you know uh, that's kind of not the point just a wonderful film. I thoroughly recommend anyone watching it. I spoke to a couple of people um, the other day about what they made of Festin. So, Very good. Um, this is what they thought of it. Uh, I thought it was a really good film. Um, it was really original. It, uh, when I was watching it, it felt really real. And the story was terrifying, but in, a, you know, in an exciting kind of way. It involves deep, dark family secrets. And it's, it's just really uncomfortable. It's not nice at all to watch. Yes, I definitely recommend a, a viewing. Do it as soon as you can. Enjoy in a perverted sort of way. I saw that film, I saw Festen first when I was at university um, and I'd never seen anything like it. So yeah. what's next as your film number two? Yeah, well, um, film number two is in many ways just as intense as an even more intense than Fest in other ways, and it's Lars von Trier's Breaking the Waves. Let's have a look at the trailer. Wow. Just the sheer emotion of this. I, I would say this is almost a post-dogmy film, insofar as obviously it was von Trier doing it. Um, you know, it has, all, it, has, it has actual sex scenes, if the rumours are to be believed in them. Um, but it's very well shot. I mean, I think a lot of time has been put into making it look less well shot than it actually is. Yeah. Um, the story is just so emotional, and you can tell that what sort of von Trier did was he, um, the, uh, the form to really, to really extract as much of the emotion as possible. Mm. But um, Emily, very simply, this story is of a, uh, a girl with learning disabilities mm -hmm. who is seduced by a, a man who works in an oil rig. She lives in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And he's very much in love with her. She's very much in love with him. Unfortunately, what happens, as you can see there, is he has an accident on the rig and he's paralysed from the neck down. Wow. And he's so much in love with her that he asks her to um, find other men mm -hmm. and come and talk to him about it. Wow. Um, and she's utterly bereft. She's, she utterly doesn't understand what's happening to her. She's mm -hmm. very religious person mm -hmm. um, and she doesn't understand what's happened to her. There's, there's, a very, there's, 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 there's very strong religious imagery in it. Some would say it's slightly overwrought mm. and again that's part of this sort of <laughs> the smile if you like with which 
these filmmakers make these films. Uh, I think Lars von Trier said in an interview that he, he suspects that he went a little bit too far with the religious imagery in this, and I, I suspect mm. he's probably correct. But it's just such an incredibly emotional film. Mm. Um, stunning Scottish scenery, um, just, a, just a stunning movie. I remember watching it the first time and um, just being absolutely blown away. I couldn't sleep for days. Wow. So what is your final Dogme film that we're going to look at? Uh, change of pace uh, for this one. It's uh, another Lars von Trier uh, joint, as I think the technical term is. It's The Idiots. Okay, let's have a look. The story of a commune of people, all mm -hmm. of whom uh, act in their phrase like they're idiots. And um, we have to warn you there are scenes of nudity about to happen. This is very much a kind of cinema verite type mm -hmm. uh, film. You know, there's, there's lots of talking to camera, there's interviews. It's, it kind of shows the, the flexibility, you know, the, the breadth of the dogme concept. Mm. I mean, this is essentially a concept that has no real philosophical or aesthetic merit to it. Mm. And yet he manages to eke so much emotion out of it. And so much humour. I mean, it is hilarious in parts. It's utterly offensive in other parts. It's in very bad taste. Mm. But that combination of raw emotion, bad taste, genuine warmth mm -hmm. in bits, and that kind of that student filmmaker smile that we've referred to all the way through. Yeah. It just makes it a compelling watch. I mean, Dog Me happened, Dog Me won. Okay. Um, I mean, if you look at something like The Blair Witch Project, which came around this time as well, it's not a Dog Me film. It was very carefully yeah. put together, very carefully curated internet marketing campaign around yeah. it. Um, but there were already sort of examples of this kind of... Um, happening mm. to use a to use a sort of term from theatre it's kind of incidental movie you know this discovered this found footage as you call it happening across the world um, this all owes itself or owes its uh, owes its reality to the stuff that the dogma guys were doing yeah you know it's about saying actually the emotional intensity of a piece the emotional intensity of a situation can be magnified when it's lo-fi yeah. rather than hi-fi and this is actually something that, you know, uh, if you want to get academic about this, this is something that Marshall McLuhan, great American media academic, was talk Canadian media academic, sorry, was talking about in the 60s when he talked about hot and cool media. So, you know, hot media was this kind of high-intensity, hi-fi um, thing, you know, that, 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 that sort of uh, it hit a certain bit of our soul. The lo-fi media, the cool media, about improvisation, it was kind of, it was stuff that came out of the radio tube. Mm. You know, it was stuff that talked to us in a different way. Yeah. And Dogme was part of that tradition. And the stuff you see today, when you see uh, modern movies uh, involving people being killed on a webcam or something yeah, yeah. like that, mm. you know, I mean, pretty nasty stuff, but you feel the intensity of it. And that always is. It's that rawness, it's that it's, cutaway of all yeah, of the, exactly. the production gloss um, to get right down to the And the, the progenitor was Dogme. So as I say, I think Dogme won fundamentally. The people, one, and the, the directors involved in it are still involved today in the film industry, many of them, and, and, are, and are very successful. That speaks volumes as well. Ash, thank you so much for speaking through those films with us. Pleasure. It's been lovely having you join us, and um, we look forward to hopefully having you back again. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Film Focus with Emily Cook. Happy movie going!